All right, Don, I'm ready. You want me to take the opening, huh? Well, hello again. This is Buck Benny speaking. Tonight we have an historic episode of the Jack Benny Show for us from 65 years ago, the 1947-1948 season. This week, of course, is Valentine's Week, and Jack's birthday falls within that. Tonight's episode is the very first time that Jack... Um, celebrates his 39th birthday, uh, where he'll sort of park for quite a while. He kind of bounced around at 36, 37, 38 for many years, <laughs> slowly creeping up there. But this is his first uh, admitting a uh, uh, 39th birthday. Now, granted, he was in reality far older than 39 the first time he publicly turned 39 on his show. Uh, but anyway, this is the, the first one. Now, the other thing going on here that's historic is this is the very first episode that features uh, the Beverly Hills Beavers, uh, Jack's sort of Boy Scout sort of troop. And uh, they, uh, certainly we've heard them on the episodes earlier this season, uh, but they never really had a name. They were just sort of this group of kids that he hung out with. Um, so now we get an actual name for them, which is pretty cool. Uh, the other thing for tonight, of course, because uh, it's Valentine's and everything, and the most touching uh, romantic story, one of them that I've ever heard in my life, is the story of Jack and Mary after Jack passes away. So I'm going to bring you that. I try and bring you that each year, um, at least once. Uh, so after uh, my podcast this introduction's over, you're going to hear Mary and Johnny Carson in very, very poor sound. I'm terribly sorry about that. It's all I have. I've been trying desperately to get it in higher quality sound. If anyone has this clip, or it comes from the... Um, tribute to Mary Livingston uh, that was made after Mary Livingston died. Uh, if anyone has that in better shape, I would love to have a better copy. Uh, anyway, this actual part of the interview that um, that is from the Johnny Carson show is from, I believe, 1978. It is uh, right after um, Mary uh, has uh, co-written a book about Jack Benny, and um, so they're out publicizing it, and this is her going on the Johnny Carson show to publicize it. She did not make that many appearances publicizing it, she made a few, and uh, this is definitely the most, um, the biggest appearance that she made was on, on the Johnny Carson show. So I hope you'll enjoy this, and enjoy this fun episode, and we'll see you next time. Dear Jack passed away, um, oh, I think it was about a week later, Red Rose came. 
No name. Just one red rose. And I thought, isn't this lovely? Somebody sent me red rose. How dear. The next day and the next day and still came and I couldn't figure it out. And I said, well, who's the florist? You know, if I called the florist, they probably could tell me. Nobody knew. It wasn't until about... And I'm still getting them every day. And it was about, I guess, six months later when the florist, David Jones... Told you that... Jack had told him to send me a rose every day for the rest of my life. Well, that is sweet. I mean, that gives you... That's the measure of the man. That pretty much is the measure of the man. I think that kind of sums Jack up a little bit. The Jack Benny Program, presented by Lucky Strike. Front page news. In the nation's great tobacco markets, the famous Crosley Poll has just finished asking independent tobacco experts... What cigarette do you smoke? Over 50% more named Lucky Strike than any other brand. Yes, the impartial Crosley Poll shows... By a 50% margin over any other brand, independent tobacco experts name Lucky Strike first choice. Lucky Strike, first choice. These experts are the independent tobacco buyers, auctioneers, and warehousemen. The men who see who buys what tobacco at the auctions. And when independent tobacco experts like these name Lucky Strike, first choice, for personal smoking enjoyment, then you know. L-S-M-F-T, L-S-M-F-T. Lucky Strike means fine tobacco. So smoke the smoke, tobacco experts smoke Lucky Strike. Remember, by a 50% margin over any other brand... Independent tobacco experts name Lucky Strike first choice. Lucky Strike first choice. The Lucky Strike program starring Jack Benny with Mary Livingston, Phil Harris, Rochester, Dennis Day, and yours truly, Don Wilson. Ladies and gentlemen, yesterday, February 14th, was St. Valentine's Day. It was also Jack Benny's birthday. So let's go back to yesterday. A lot of people are making preparations for the big event. We'll look in on some of them. The regular meeting of the Beverly Hills Beavers will now come to order. The motion before the club is resolved. The Beavers will give Mr. Jack Benny a surprise birthday party. And for this purpose, we'll withdraw our entire treasury of $1.43. I second the motion, Stevie. Thank you, Joy. But call me Mr. President. No familiarity during meetings. <laughs> a- any questions? What is it, Cliff? Well, I'm a new member of the Beavers, and I'd like to know who Jack Benny is. <laughs> Are you kidding? Don't you know who Jack Benny is? No, who is he? Who is Jack Benny? He's only the greatest fullback the Yale ever had. (laughs) Yeah. He quit football because he was afraid of hurting his hands, and that would stop him from playing the violin. That's right, Cliff. Mr. Benny's one of the world's greatest violinists. Well, if he's the world's greatest violinist, how come I never heard of him? Well, that's because he's so modest. He goes under the name of Yasha Heifetz. Say, he's a 
sounds like quite a guy. He sure is. Why, why take the baseball uniforms we're wearing? Mr. Benny loaned us the money to get them. Yeah. <laughs> and my father says that 4% is reasonable. <laughs> Since Mr. Benny's such a nice man, I vote that we give him the birthday party. That makes it unanimous. Now, any other questions? Yes, Mr. President. Are we going to invite any girls to the party? Cliff, since you're a new member, I'll read you part of our bylaws. Bylaws of the Beverly Hills Beavers, Chapter 12, Rule 8, Clause D. If any beaver is ever seen with a member of the opposite sex, this means girls. <laughs> He will be fined seven cents, barred from holding office in this club, and will never be allowed to have custody of the club mascot, Blinky, our white mouse. But I thought Blinky died last month. We're still keeping him. <laughs> now, let's make out our invitation list. We'll invite all of Mr. Benny's friends. Say, by the way, how old is Mr. Benny? Today he's 39. <laughs> how smart he is, too. Why? Well, he was in my uncle's class in school, and my uncle's 55. <laughs> well, look, let's all go over to Miss Livington's house, and she'll give us a list of Mr. Benny's friends. All those in favor, say aye. Aye. <laughs> Pauline, have you straightened out the living room? Yes, Miss Livingston. Oh, won't Mr. Benny be surprised when he finds that you're giving him a birthday party? He sure will. Uh, tell me, Pauline, how does my new dress look? Oh, it's lovely, ma'am. Only if I had nice legs like yours, I wouldn't hide him with such a long skirt. <laughs> Men like pretty legs, you know. <laughs> yeah, and I think for years I hid mine behind a counter at the May Company. <laughs> But, you know, I'm not trying to be glamorous tonight. Phil and Don are married, Dennis is too young for me, and Mr. Benny is too old for me. Oh, well, I'm surprised to hear you say that anyone is too young or too old for you. Why? Well, anything between the Boy Scouts and the Townsend Club is okay with me. <laughs> Why, Pauline, I didn't know you liked men so much. Oh, I do, ma'am. Why, well, I like them so much that I... Well... Well, you'd think me silly if I told you what my favorite dream has been for years. No, I won't. Tell me, what is your favorite dream? That I'm a Dixie Cup in the Brooklyn Dodgers locker room. <laughs> <laughs> well, come on, Pauline. There's work to do. Yes, ma'am. <clears throat> Say, would you please tell me one thing, Miss Livingston? Uh, don't you ever go out with Mr. Benny, just the two of you alone? Occasionally. I remember one very warm night last summer when Jack drove me up to the top of Mulholland Drive. Gee, how'd you make out? Fine. I sold more good humors than he did. <laughs> now, Pauline, you set the table and I'll... Miss Livingston's residence. Just one moment, please. Miss Livingston, it's the baker. He wishes to talk to you. Oh, good. Hello? Yes, I want the cake delivered as early as possible. How many candles? 39. That's right, 39 candles and arrange them in the shape of a question mark. (laughs) 
Okay. Goodbye. Say, Miss Livingston, how old is Mr. Benny really? Oh, I'm sorry, I can't tell you. See, Mr. Benny and I have an agreement that saves us both a lot of embarrassment. An agreement? Yes, I never tell anyone his age, and he never tells anyone my salary. <laughs> but, but, Miss Livingston, if Mr. Benny paid you so little, how can you afford this nice apartment and all your nice clothes and everything? And my mother writes for Bob Hope. <laughs> Pauline, have you arranged the place card? Yes, ma'am. Did you order the food? Yes. Since you're serving buffet style, I ordered a turkey, a roast beef, and two hams. Well, that takes care of Don Wilson. What about the rest of the people? <laughs> oh, Miss Livingston. Well, I better get over the invitation list and start calling. Gee, I've been trying to reach Bill Harris all day, but he's been out. I wonder where he is. <laughs> Four ball in the side pocket. Watch it, Mel. Okay. <laughs> Say, Phil, how's about coming over to my place for a poker game tonight? Gee, I'd like to, Mel, but I can't. Six ball in the corner. <laughs> hey, why can't you come, Phil? Well, it's Jackson's birthday today, and me and the boys in my band are throwing him a surprise party. Nine ball in the side. <laughs> <laughs> hey, where are you going to throw the party, Phil? Over by... Over at my house. Everybody's going to have a lot of fun. I just filled the pool. Oh, it's pretty cold weather for swimming, ain't it? Yeah, but once you dive in, you don't notice it. Oh, the pool heated? No, it's filled with bourbon. Thirteen ball in the side. <laughs> you know, yesterday, Frankie, my guitar player slipped into the pool and almost drowned. Did you finally save him? Yeah, we broke his arm, running him through the ringer. Seven ball twice across. <laughs> Uh, Phil, <laughs> Phil, I've been wanting to ask you something. Yeah, go ahead. What is it, Mel? Well, I hate to bring it up, but I've been out of work for a long time, and I thought maybe you could give me a job. Well, maybe I can. What do you do? I'm a glass blower. Sorry, I got all the musicians I need. Two ball in the corner. <laughs> Hold it a minute. Kiss off the 12. <laughs> yeah. Went just like it had eyes. Well, <laughs> that finishes the game. I'll beat you 25 to 4. Gee, some guys have all the luck. Imagine shooting pool like that and being married to Alice Faye at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Well, so long, Mel. I got to start calling the gang. Yeah, I think I'll call Dennis first. Gee, Mother, why do you want to leave the house just because I'm giving a surprise party for Mr. Benny? That's not the only reason. I've got to drive to Riverside tonight. But can't you drive there some other time? What? And spoil my truckload of oranges? <laughs> anyway, I can't understand why you have to give a party for Mr. Benny. Because he's a very nice man. Nice man. What did he ever do for you? What did he ever do for me? Well, once he... I remember when... <laughs> And not only that, and then there was a time he... Yeah, why am I giving him a party? I think you're wasting your money on that mean old man. Oh, Mother, that isn't fair. Mr. Benny has been like a father to me. Only last week he gave me advice on how to be popular with the girls. 
Oh, he did, huh? Yeah, he took me aside and said, Dennis, my boy, you're missing a lot. You ought to get a girl and on some moonlight night, drive her over to Lover's Lane and put your arms around her and pull her up close to you, put your face close to hers and... Yes, then what did Mr. Benny say? When he got to that part, he fainted. <laughs> Now, look, Dennis, let me give you some advice on that. Yes, Mother. Son, as you go through life, you'll meet many girls, and someday you'll meet the one girl you'll want to spend the rest of your life with, and it will probably be when you least expect it. Gee, say, Mom, how did you first meet Father? We were matched together in the Golden Gloves. <laughs> he had the sweetest left hook. Well, Dennis... I've got to be running along now. I hope your party turns out nice. Thank you, Mother. Oh, by the way, how old is Mr. Benny today? Thirty-nine. Thirty-nine, indeed. Why, I remember seeing him in a vaudeville act with Al Jolson when they introduced the song, Sonny Boy. How long ago was that? I don't remember. But Benny was singing and Jolson was climbing up on his knee. <laughs> so long, son. Goodbye, Mother. Lots of luck with your oranges. Well, I've got everything set for the party. Now I better see if I have everybody's phone number. <laughs> dance, ballerina, dance. And do your pirouette in rhythm with your aching heart. Dance, ballerina, dance. You mustn't once forget A dancer has to dance apart Girl, ballerina, world And just ignore the chair That's empty in the second row This is your moment, girl Although he's not out there Applauding as you steal the once you said his love must wait its turn, you wanted fame instead. I guess that's your Don Wilson's. I'll look that one up. Oh, darling. What is it, Pudgy? I wanted to tell you that the table looks beautiful. 
Oh, thank you, dear. But I think you better start calling our guests. Well, I will as soon as I finish wrapping this present for Jack. Well, I hope you're giving him an appropriate gift. What's in that package, darling? See if you can guess. A watch? No, no. I'll give you a hint. They're round and firm and fully packed and free and easy on the draw. Of the what? Draw. A box of Crayolas. <laughs> no, 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 pet. Now, listen again, sweetheart. Take last night after dinner. I went into the living room, sat down in my easy chair, struck a match. Now, what did I light? My mother's picture. <laughs> yes, and while it was burning, what did I light with that? Oh, darling, don't be keep me in suspense. What did you buy Jack Benny for his birthday? Oh, but darling, it's so obvious. Look at these letters on the package. You should be able to figure out what it is. L-S-M-F-T. L-S-M-F-T. Oh, I know. A long silk muffler from Tubby. No, no, no. It's, it's a carton of Lucky Strikes, and LSMFT stands for Lucky Strike Means Fine Tobacco. Oh, well, everybody knows that. Well, then why did you make me tell you? I just love the way your face lights up when you say it. <laughs> well, thank you. Now, come on, darling. Let's go through this list and see if I've forgotten anyone. Hmm. Fine thing. Here it is my birthday and I'm all alone. Nobody even thinks of me. Nobody cares. No cards, not even a phone call. Who is it? It's me, boss. Rochester, I don't want to talk to anyone. Leave me alone. Leave me alone. Leave me alone. <laughs> Quiet, Polly. When I want your help, I'll ask for it. Boss, you haven't eaten all day. Do you want me to get... I don't some... want anything. Just leave me alone. Okay, okay. I wonder what's wrong with him. He's kept himself locked in the den all day. The last time he brooded like this was when his girlfriend, Gladys Zabisco, broke the engagement. Then she sent back the ring and he was happy again. <laughs> wonder what's ailing. Maybe bet on a horse. No, if Mr. Benny bet on a horse and that horse lost, he'd beat it to death with his bare hands. can't figure out what's the matter with him. Rochester, if you don't mind, I'll have my dinner served in bed. What's the matter, boss? Don't you feel good? You've been brooding all day. I haven't been brooding. I don't if I want to lock myself in the den, it's my own business. Wait a minute, boss. Huh? Have you been crying? What makes you think I've been crying? There's a rainbow in your little blue eyes. <laughs> there is? I mean, who cares? A lot you or anybody else worries about me anyway. You're wrong, Mr. Benny. I worry about you. Oh, you do, eh? Well, Rochester, what day is this? Saturday. Uh-huh. Saturday, February what? The 14th. Doesn't that mean anything to you? Saturday, February the 14th. Oh, my goodness, I forgot to put out the garbage. <laughs> it's not that. Come back here. Now, let's not talk about it anymore. You go in and clean the den. I'm going to the kitchen, have a sandwich and a glass of garbage. I mean milk. <laughs> okay. Well, it won't take long to straighten up the den. I'll just put these books away on the shelf. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. Well, hello, Polly. Here I am all alone. Nobody cares. Huh? Nobody cares. Nobody cares. What are you talking about? Today's my birthday. Today's my birthday. <laughs> oh, my goodness. How can I be so stupid? 
I better go in the kitchen and fix things up right away. Uh, excuse me, boss. Excuse me. Rochester. Uh, just a minute, boss. Rochester, what are you doing? I'm putting a candle on a cracker. It's Polly's birthday. <laughs> Oh, it is, eh? Well, I'm glad to hear it. I'm going to my room. That's where I'm going. Gosh, I can't figure out what's bothering the boys. He's usually so cheerful and... Hello, Mr. Benny's residence. Uh, Rochester, this is Miss Livingston. Oh, hello, Miss Livingston. You'll never guess whose birthday it is today. I know, Rochester, and that's why I called. I want to give a surprise party. A party? Yes. Do you think you'd get him out of the house? Him? Certainly. Well, he sure fooled me. He laid an egg this morning. <laughs> Rochester, what are you talking about? The parrot. Parrot? It isn't the parrot's birthday. It's Mr. Benny's birthday. Oh! <laughs> so that's why he's been feeling bad all day. He thought everybody forgot about him. Oh, no. When I called the gang, I found out that everybody was giving him a party. So we all decided to come over to Mr. Benny's house and surprise him. Well, bring some food with you. The time lock doesn't open the icebox till six in the morning. <laughs> well, don't worry. We have food. You just get Mr. Benny out of the house for a little while and don't let him suspect anything. Okay, Miss Livingston, leave it to me. I'll be clever about it. Well... I feel a lot better taking this little walk. But I can't understand Rochester throwing my hat and coat out. And when I went out to get him, he slammed the door. <laughs> yeah, I've been walking for about 40 minutes now. I'm kind of tired. I think I'll walk across the street and get on a bus for home. Fine birthday. Hey, look at this theater marquee. Now playing, The Horn Blows at Midnight. <laughs> I, I guess they're running it again on account of the Academy Awards. <laughs> I, think I'll, I think I'll go and see it again. Uh, pardon me, miss, I see you're showing The Horn Blows at Midnight. That's right. How's business? How's... Look, miss, if this is a holdup, you're wasting your time. We haven't sold a ticket all week. <laughs> This isn't a hold-up, and give me a ticket. Here's the money. Here's a ticket and a knife. A knife? You'll have to cut your way through the brush. <laughs> Never mind. Just give me the ticket so I can go in, will you? Rochester, we've been here for four hours now. If Mr. Benny only went out for a walk, why isn't he back? I don't know, Miss Livingston. Well, I can't wait any longer. Bring on the food. Yeah, let's eat. Hey, wait a minute, kid. Since this is Jack's birthday party, I propose that we all give a toast. All of us? Yeah, we'll each take a line. Go ahead, Rochester. You start it. Okay. To our boss, Mr. Benny. This toast we do make. While we stand here talking, Don's eating the cake. <laughs> well, I waited long enough. I've got to go home. Me too. I wondered what happened to Jack. <laughs> I beg your pardon, mister. Huh? I'm the manager of this theater. We've shown you the horn blows at midnight three times. Now, will you please go home so we can close up? <laughs> okay, okay. By the way, mister, the girl at the box office told me you haven't sold a ticket all week. That's quite true. 
Well, if that's true, how come there's someone sitting in almost every seat in this theater? We rent it out as a storage room to a mortuary. <laughs> a mortuary? You mean all the people in those seats are... That's amazing. I'll say it's amazing. Yesterday, right in the middle of the picture, three of them got up and walked out. <laughs> I wondered why the guy at the door didn't tear my ticket. <laughs> well, I better go on home. <laughs> Gee, all the lights are out in the house. Rochester must be asleep. Now, let's see. Where's my key? Here's the key to my safety deposit box. Here's the key to my car. Key to my garage. Key to my vault. <laughs> Whoops, I dropped it. <laughs> Here's the key to the front door. Here it is. Mm, coming home to a cold, dark house. What a birthday this was. Uh, fine, loyal gig I got. I got a good notion to fire every one of them. If I had any talent, I would. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm tired. Well, I might as well go to bed, I guess. Now, who can that be at this time of night? Hello? Hello, is this Jack Benny? Yes. This is Western Union. We have a singing telegram for you from your sister in Chicago. Oh, a singing telegram from my sister, eh? Well, <laughs> that's nice. Go ahead, let me hear it. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. <laughs> Happy birthday, Jack Benny. <laughs> very much. That was swell. Thanks. Look, I've got to go to... Happy birthday to you. Happy, 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 Look, fella, I gotta go to bed. Thank you. Happy birthday, Jack Benny. Well, thank you, thank you very much. Now, I... Look, happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you.
Ladies and gentlemen, in certain sections of the country, a critical fuel oil situation exists, and many families may face heatless days before the end of the winter. Help maintain your family's health and conserve fuel oil by doing these things now. Keep room temperature at 68 degrees by day, lower at night. Close off unused rooms, help stretch existing supplies. Thank you. Jack will be back in just a minute, but first, here is Basil Rysdale. By a 50% margin over any other brand, independent tobacco experts name Lucky Strike first choice. Lucky Strike first choice. American. Back of that statement is an impartial Crosley poll just completed in 11 southern tobacco states. This famous authentic research group reveals that when independent tobacco experts choose a cigarette for their own personal smoking enjoyment, over 50% more named Lucky Strike than any other brand. Yes, the impartial Crossley poll shows... By a 50% margin over any other brand, independent tobacco experts name Lucky Strike first choice. These are the tobacco experts, the independent buyers, auctioneers, and warehousemen who buy, sell, and handle tobacco at the auction. You've heard the poll results. Now listen to what tobacco buyer Bryce Leach of Glasgow, Kentucky recently said. Season after season, I've seen the makers of Lucky Strike buy ripe, fine-tasting leaf. Fine-quality tobacco that makes a top-quality smoke. I've smoked Lucky 16 years. So for your own real, deep-down smoking enjoyment, remember... L-S-M-F-T. L-S-M-F-T. Lucky Strike means fine tobacco. So round, so firm, so fully packed, so free and easy on the draw. So smoke the smoke, tobacco expert smoke. Remember, by a 50% margin over any other brand, independent tobacco experts name Lucky Strike first choice. Lucky Strike first choice. Oh, it's 9 a.m. Sunday morning. Hope I have a good show this afternoon. Oh, good morning, Rochester. Good morning, boss. Feel a little more cheerful today? Yeah, yeah, I feel fine. You should have come home earlier last night. Why? The whole gang came over to give a surprise party and celebrate your birthday. What? A surprise party for me? My whole gang? Mary? You mean Mary, Phil, Don, and Dennis? Gee, they they didn't forget me. Why, boss? That rainbow's coming back in your little blue eyes. (laughs) I can't help it. I'm so happy. Good night, folks. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Yes, a pretty girl is like a melody, especially when her hair is soft and shining, like that of Mrs. H.W. Marolf, recent bride from Anvil, Pennsylvania. Mrs. Marolf, who uses Fitch Cream Shampoo, writes, I always wanted smooth, glistening hair. When I tried Fitch Cream Shampoo, my dreams came true. Since I've been using Fitch, my hair is softer, shinier than I ever thought possible. Fitch wins my vote as the number one cream shampoo. 
Yes, Mrs. Maroff, and Fitch is the favorite cream shampoo of thousands in every state. That's because Fitch leaves hair caressably soft, shining as though it had been brushed and brushed and brushed. So try Fitch cream shampoo. You too will discover that glamorous new look of softer, shinier hair. Fitch cream shampoo is made with two special beauty aids, lanolin and olive oil. Lanolin is used to soften the hair. Olive oil is used to bring out sparkling highlights. Fitch is economical, too. Compare the size of the jar. Compare its low cost. At drug or toilet goods counters, buy Fitch cream shampoo for softer, shinier hair. The F.W. Fitch Company, makers of Fitch Shampoo, presents the Fitch Bandwagon, written by Ray Singer and Dick Chevrolet, with Elliot Lewis, Walter Tetley, Janine Roos, Ann Whitfield, Robert North, Walter Scharf and his music, and starring Alice Faye and Phil Harris. Today, as we look in on the Harris home, we find Phil and Alice talking to William about his birthday, which is two days hence. So you're going to have a birthday Tuesday, eh, Willie? Tell me, uh, how old are you going to be? I'm in the spring of life, Philip. Not too old to appreciate the complete fulfillment of the joys of life. <laughs> and yet not young enough to be unaware of the complexities that make life interesting, and yet I fully... Never realize... mind! <laughs> All I ask was how old he is, and I get a lecture on life. <laughs> Gee whiz. I'll figure this out for myself. Now, wait a minute. I know there's two years between you and Alice. How old are you, Alice? I'm in the spring of life, but if not too old to appreciate the complete... All right, life. all right. I never saw two people so afraid to tell their ages. You guard that secret like the Russians were after it. <laughs> it's, it's no secret, Philip. I'm 25. Then that makes you 27, Alice. Why don't you admit it? Why do women always try to conceal their age anyway? You got nothing to be ashamed of. You look wonderful. I hope I look as good when I'm 27. Yeah. <laughs> I hope you look as good next year when you're 37. Touche. <laughs> Whatever that means. <laughs> Look, Alice, I'm going upstairs and get my jacket. Will you get some orange juice and coffee ready? Hey, see, see you Tuesday at your birthday party, Willie. Goodbye, Philip. <laughs> About your birthday, William, Phil and I want to buy you something you can use. What would you like? Well, as long as you ask, I uh, could use a new fraternity crest. Oh, you mean one of those, uh, one of those crests like you have on your fraternity pin? Yes, mm-hmm. <laughs> I uh, lost the one I had at college well, All right, William, we'll buy you a fraternity crest Why don't you come downtown with me now and you can pick it up Very well, Alice I'll pour a cup of coffee for Phil before I go <clears throat> and Yes, I'd better tell the children I'm leaving Girls! We're coming Mommy, what do you want? Well, children, when your daddy comes down, tell him his coffee is poured Tell him I had to go downtown to buy a fraternity crest I'll see you later Come along, William Bye, Mommy. Bye, Uncle William. Goodbye, children. <laughs> Phyllis, what did Mommy say she was going shopping for? She said she was going to buy... Oh, hiya, kids. Good morning, Daddy. Mommy poured this coffee for you. Mmm, good. 
Nothing like a good hot cup of coffee to start the day. Mmm. It's good coffee, too. Uh, where's your mother? She said she was going shopping for a dress. Oh. Well, she can stand a new dress. She can afford it, too. Mmm. <laughs> hey, uh, what kind of a dress is she getting? She said she was going to get a maternity dress. <laughs> Maternity dress. Oh! He fainted. Wow. What did Mommy put in the coffee? Daddy, Daddy, are you all right? Talk to us. Say something. Oh, have a cigar, Doctor. (laughs) Daddy, are you all right? Yeah, yeah, it's just... Well, it was just a shock. Look, uh, you kids run along. I'm all right now. Okay, Daddy. Oh. Alice is buying a maternity dress. Gee. And that must mean that Alice is... And I'm going to be a G. <laughs> I wonder why she didn't tell me. I guess she wants to surprise me. Well, I won't let on I know until she tells me. Oh, gee, if it's a boy, it might grow up to be another Phil Harris. (laughs) Oh, that lucky little kid. (laughs) Oh, boy, this is wonderful. I can't get over it. Coming, coming. Hi, Curly. Oh, Frankie, come in. Have I got good news for you? You got here just in time. I'm going to have a baby. Well, bingo! (laughs) Give that man three silver dollars! (laughs) Don't be a wise guy. Look, I just found out that Alice is going to have a baby. But don't tell her, Frankie. I don't want her to know. (laughs) Don't you think somebody ought to tell her? After all, in her condition, she's entitled to know. Uh, I mean, don't tell her that I know. Oh, Frankie. Well, isn't it exciting? I'm going to be a father. So? <laughs> what do you mean, so? Nothing to get excited about. You two ain't the only ones to have a baby. Everybody has babies. People have babies. Dogs have babies. Even horses have babies. They do? I could have sworn they had horses. Frankie, what's the matter with you? Haven't you got a heart? Sure, but I'm a single guy I can't get excited about things like that It's a fine way to act And to think that I was going to make you the baby's godfather Godfather? Yeah Me? Gee, Curly, me a godfather? Sure It sort of gives me a stake in the kid, don't it? I accept the nomination Yeah, you're beginning to like it, huh? Yeah You know, Curly, this kid of ours is going to be a great man You You said that right When he grows up, he'll be a musician like us What do you mean a musician? He's going to be the president What happens to Petrillo? (laughs) 
<laughs> Frankie, there's another president besides Petrillo. There is? I bet he don't have as much to say as Petrillo. <laughs> Who does? Hey, Curly, as godfather, I'll have to hold the baby at the christening, won't I? Yeah, what about it? Well, I... I never held a baby before. How do you do it? Oh, it's a cinch. You just pick him up by... Well, you hold him, and, uh... Hey, wait a minute. There's Phyllis's doll there. Pick it up, and I'll show you. Okay. Frankie, it's not a cat. <laughs> You're not supposed to pick it up by the scruff of the neck. Well, how do you do it? The way the doctor does it in the movies. You pick him up by the feet and spank him. <laughs> I always wondered about that, Curly. Why does a doctor always hold a newborn baby by the feet and spank it? Gee, you're stupid. You don't know nothing. They do it because it's a custom, like when they crack a bottle of champagne over a new ship. <laughs> Can't you understand? They launch it that way. <laughs> You fathers know everything. <laughs> Experience. Now, look, pick the doll up, and I'll show you how to hold it. Yeah, okay. How's this? That's it. Now you're getting it. That's good. <laughs> hey, you know something? You look natural, Frankie. Yeah? Yeah. Now, just rock it back and forth gently. Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of fun. Yeah. Rock-a-bye, baby, on the treetop When the wind blows, the cradle will rock When the bow breaks, the cradle will fall And down will come, baby, cradle and all pa, all pa, pa, cradle and all We should have recorded that. Well, if it ain't Nelson, Eddie, and Jeanette McDonald. Hey. hey, Julius, how long you been standing there? I brought the groceries in, and when I heard the racket, I came in to see what was going on. Yeah. What are you doing? We're singing Rockabye Baby. I don't get it. Most guys sing Sweet Adeline. <laughs> what are you two guys been drinking? We ain't been drinking nothing. <laughs> We're, we're just playing with this doll. Well, ain't that ducky. <laughs> when you get around to playing jacks, can I join you? <laughs> Look, beat it, Junior. Go back to your market and lump the pickles. Okay, okay, I'll go. Oh, boy, wait till I tell a gang down at your pool room that little Curly Harris is playing with dolls. Now, wait a minute. Come back here. <laughs> the boys have never understand. Hey, look, uh, Julius... Hey, bud, uh, can, uh, can you keep a secret? Sure. What is it? I'm going to become a father. You mean Miss Faye's going to have a baby? <coughs> Mrs. Harris is going to have a baby. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds better that way. <laughs> I'm going to be the godfather. Yeah. You know, I've been thinking... Wouldn't it be wonderful if the kid had my coloring and charming personality? <laughs> Ooh, 
what a nauseating thought. <laughs> all right, all right. Never mind, kid. I'd consider myself lucky if the baby looked like Frankie. Thanks, Curly. I'd like to return that compliment. I'd consider it lucky if the baby looked like you. <laughs> It won't look like either of you. Charming kid. Feel sorry for his father. If I raised anything like that, I'd plow it under. <laughs> well, I better run along too, Curly. I just happened to think as godfather I gotta buy some stuff for the kid Well, wait for me, Frankie I gotta go with you I wanna get some stuff, too Hey, look, we'll go to that fancy children's shop in Beverly Hills I wanna get him some baby clothes Yeah, I'll buy him some toys Boxing gloves Football helmet A bicycle Yeah, I'm gonna get him a fireman's outfit A, a fireman's outfit A fireman's outfit A fireman's outfit Outfit I'll get him a fireman's outfit <laughs> He wouldn't look good in fireman's feet, would he? Make it a fireman's outfit. And I'm going to get him a real cowboy suit, just like the kind I used to wear in Texas. You used to wear in Texas, partner? Sure, I'll never forget the time when I was there. I was standing in a bar room in a little Texas town, drinking double sarsaparillas just to wash my dinner down. Folks were dancing to a jute box where a very fine quartet, and a guy named Harris sang a song called Smoke That Cigarette. While the record was still playing, something shook the whole saloon. All the women started screaming till I couldn't hear the tune. Then I looked up to the doorway and I saw him standing there. It was Fearless Fred the foreman, dog dirty and loaded for bear. It was a year to the day since he had last been to town. And he showed it by the way he eyed the women up and down. Then he started in to cuss at all the folks up at the bar. Till a ranger who was there cautioned Freddy to beware before he had gone too far. He said, look out, stranger, I'm a Texas Ranger. You better take it nice and easy now or you're going to have to go. Well, now, Fred the foreman wasn't bright or he'd have stopped right then. But he just ignored the Ranger and he started in again. He went down and grabbed Miss Lulu, the local dance hall queen, while the fella who was with her was so scared he near turned green. Then the ranger who was watching said that he had seen enough. He had been polite to Freddy, now it's time that he got tough. Cause when a woman isn't willing, you can't force her to comply. You just don't do that and live when there's a ranger standing by. He said, look out, stranger, I'm a Texas ranger. He said, take your hands off that there woman or you'll make me mad. Well, then the ranger turned to Lulu to make sure she was all right. Freddy saw his chance and hit the ranger, wham, with all his mind. But the ranger looked around and said, I think I felt a breeze. Meanwhile, Freddy, with a broken hand, was feeling ill at ease. I warned you to look out, stranger, cause I'm a Texas ranger. Then the ranger swung at Freddy and then all the lights went out. Now, when the lights went on again, some thieving dog had stole my drink, and I swore out loud I'd like to get my hands upon that gink. 
When I looked around, the only other person that I saw was the ranger sipping sarsaparilla calmly through a straw. Fearless Freddy rose up from the floor and drew his 45. When the smoke had cleared, we found the ranger smiling and alive. Cause it's a well-known fact in Texas that a ranger's skin is hard. Even bullets never hurt. It's like a built-in bodyguard. So remember, stranger, if you meet a Texas Ranger, they're the roughest, toughest gentlemen you ever saw. And gals, they're handsome critters, too. Hey, this sure is a swanky-looking children's shop. Look at all those things in the window. Yeah, I can't wait to get some of that stuff. Come on, let's go in. Okay. How do you do? What can I do for you, sir? Well, we'd like to uh, look around for a few things. Yeah, you see, we're going to have a baby. Well, <laughs> and may I ask which one of you is the lucky mother? <laughs> uh, you, you misunderstand. His wife is going to have the baby. I'm going to be the godfather. I see. What would you like to look at? Uh, do you have fireman's feet? I mean, uh, uh, no, uh, just, uh, just the usual stuff you buy for a boy. If it isn't born yet, how do you know it's going to be a boy? Well, what else can it be? It could be a girl. A girl? <laughs> hey, hey, you love that pretty thing. <laughs> a girl. <laughs> Silly woman. Yeah. I don't pay no attention to her, Curly. What does a dame know about having a baby? How can you be so sure it's going to be a boy? Because I made up my mind, that's why Besides, I already got two girls and I always wanted a boy Having children's like playing the races If you keep betting on one horse, he's bound to pay off sooner or later I see Now, just what did you have in mind for the little colt? <laughs> I mean, baby well, give us a pair of boxing gloves, a cowboy suit, a football helmet. Uh, just a moment. Aren't you being a little premature? Don't you think you ought to buy the infant swaddling clothes? No, we got time for that when he learns how to swaddle. <laughs> Look, ladies, why don't you pick out everything a kid needs? Just pick out everything and wrap it all up. We'll take the works. Very well. Oh, boy, wait till Alice sees us come home with all this stuff. Will she be surprised, huh? Yeah, sure she will. Hey, I hope she isn't tiring herself out shopping. I wonder where she is now. Alice, it's a lovely fraternity crest you picked out for me. Oh, I'm glad you like it, William. I won't give it to you now. I'll bring it over to your house on Tuesday and give it to you at your birthday party. Oh, I'm so excited about my birthday party. It'll be a big event, you know. Well, I'm going to leave you here, William. I have some shopping to do next door at the market. I'll see you Tuesday. Bye. Goodbye, dear. <laughs> Gee, William certainly is excited about his birthday party. Oh, well, it only happens once a year, and it is a big event. Hello, soulmate. Oh, hello, Julius. Say, I've just been talking to Mr. Harrison. I know what you're doing. <laughs> you're shopping for little things. <laughs> little things? Oh, yes, I just bought a little something I for... I know, Mr. Harris told me all about it. When is the big event taking place? The day after tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, don't you think you ought to go home and rest up for it? Rest up for it? Oh, you make me sound like an old lady. 
I'm still young. I don't have to rest up for these things. <laughs> well, I hope Mr. Harris will be there with you for the occasion. Oh, sure, the whole family's going to be there. We're having it at William's house. <laughs> at uh, William's house? Well, I guess that's as good a place as any to have it. <laughs> Miss Faye, may I see the little thing when you bring it home? Oh, you can see it right now. I have it in my purse. In your, in your purse? Mm -hmm. Guess I'm too young to understand these things. <laughs> what are you carrying it in your purse for? So I can give it to William for his birthday. <laughs> Don't you think it'll be a lovely gift? Oh, it's bound to be. Something he'd never go out and buy for himself. <laughs> it's, it's none of my business, but why are you giving it to him for his birthday? Well, he lost the one he had at college. <laughs> what college did he go to? Julius, are we talking about the same thing? I don't know, and I ain't gonna hang around to find out. <laughs> Goodbye. How can a woman be so callous about such a tender thing? <laughs> I wonder what's wrong with Julius. He's acting awfully strange. I know. I'll bet he's in love. Everyone acts peculiar when they first fall in love. I remember how I felt. I'm flying high And I've got a feeling I'm falling Falling for nobody else but you Caught my eye And I've got a feeling I'm falling Show me the ring and I'll jump right through I used to travel Single, oh, we chance to Mingle, oh, now I'm a tingle over you Hey, Mr. Parson, stand by For I've got a feeling I'm falling Falling for nobody else but you To travel Single, oh, we chance to Mingle, oh, now I'm A tingle over you Hey, Mr. Parson, stand by For I've got a feeling I'm falling Falling for nobody else But you Hey, Curly, I piled up all the toys for the kid in the dining room. Yeah, he's going to have a lot of stuff to play with when he's born. Hey, just look at those toys in the... Hey, Frankie, where'd you put his motorcycle? He's in the garage with his Jeep. Oh, good. <laughs> Gee whiz, I wish Alice would hurry home. You know, she shouldn't be walking around at a time like this. Oh, Phil! Phil, I'm home. Where are you? Hey, it's Alice. Hey, don't move, honey. We'll come right out and get you. <laughs> oh, oh. Oh, there you are, honey. 
Gee, I was worried about you. Well, you knew I went shopping. Alice, you shouldn't be carrying all those packages. Now, let me carry them upstairs for you. Yeah, you carry the packages, Curly, and I'll carry Alice. Now, now, you don't have to carry me. I'm capable of walking upstairs myself. Alice, you shouldn't do it in your condition. But I'm in very good condition. I never felt better in my life. Brave little mother, ain't she? (laughs) Yeah. These Irish are hardy people. What are you two talking about? Honey, you might as well tell us because we know. Yeah, we know you're going to have a baby. Well, as long as you... (laughs) I'm going to have a what? A baby. You know, one of them little things that sleeps all day and cries all night. (laughs) Where did you ever get the idea that I'm going to have a baby? Well, because Phyllis told me. She gave it away. She said you were going downtown to buy a maternity dress. Maternity? Oh, no. Oh, no, you two silly characters. I just told her I was going downtown to get a fraternity crest for William. (laughs) (laughs) A fraternity crest? How do you like that? I'm going to be godfather to a fraternity crest. I had my heart set on being a godfather Yeah, and I bought all that stuff for the baby Oh, Phil Phil, this is priceless I'm going upstairs and call Mother And wait till she hears about this Oh, Alice, please, Alice Oh, don't tell anybody I feel like a fool Oh, when this gets around I'll be the laughing stock of Encino (laughs) Oh, Frankie, how am I going to explain this to people? What am I going to say? Don't talk to me But Frankie Don't come near me, you, you... You godfather breaker up are you? <laughs> I was planning on this baby. But Frankie was a misunderstanding. It isn't my fault. It's little Phyllis's fault. She told me Alice was shopping for a maternity dress. I can't help it if she got the words mixed up. I was taking in as much as you. I went out and bought all this stuff for the baby. Yeah, now there ain't gonna be no baby. What are we gonna do with all this stuff? Well, there's only one thing we can do. Frankie, you'll have to get married and have a baby. Oh, wait a minute, Curly. There must be an easier way. No, you're going to do it. Phil will be back in just a moment. There's no excuse for dandruff. Right. There's no excuse for dandruff. Almost everyone has dandruff at one time or another, but there's no excuse for dandruff. That's because it can be removed so easily and completely with Fitch's Dandruff Remover Shampoo. Leading medical authorities say there are two kinds of dandruff. One is loose and flaky. It's the unsightly kind, the kind you can see. The other clings to the scalp. It's the invisible, irritating kind, the kind you can feel. If your present shampoo is doing only half the job, remember, Fitch removes both kinds completely. Be free of unsightly dandruff. Be free of invisible, irritating dandruff. Yes, be free of all embarrassing dandruff with Fitch. Fitch is the only shampoo made that's guaranteed to remove dandruff with the first application. And the Fitch guarantee is backed by one of the world's largest insurance firms. Remember, there's no excuse for dandruff. So switch to Fitch. At drug counters, barber, and beauty shops, ask for Fitch's Dandruff Remover Shampoo. Fitch is spelled F-I-T-C-H.
Phyllis, keep saying it and don't stop until I tell you to. Now go ahead. Fraternity crest, fraternity crest, fraternity dress, fraternity. No, crest. no, fraternity. Tune in next week when the F.W. Fitch Company again brings you the Fitch Bandwagon with Alice Fay and Phil Harris. This program was directed by Paul Phillips. Alice Fay appears to the courtesy of 20th Century Fox. The part of Frankie was played by Elliot Lewis. Girls, for softer, shinier hair, use Fitch's new cream shampoo. It's made with both lanolin and olive oil. Lanolin to soften, olive oil for sparkling highlights. Try Fritch Cream Shampoo. Bill Foreman speaking. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Well, hello again. This is Buck Benny speaking. Welcome to another episode of the 1937-1938 season of the Jack Benny Show. want to apologize for Thursday's show. Some people noticed that I clipped the, uh, my podcast intro to the wrong episode. I have fixed that, so if you want to go back and listen to Thursday's episode, it will be, it is corrected now. Uh, I will be representing it next Thursday for those of you who never get a chance to hear this or go back and check it or whatever so you'll get another chance to hear the correct episode with the correct introduction. Anyway, tonight's episode uh, is the first of, of a two-part skit, uh, Submarine D1. It was actually a movie in 1937 and it was uh, one of the first real uh, good insights we had into seeing what the what the Navy was like in 1937, right before the war, and to give us some insight into how submarines worked. Um, it's it's a really interesting film if you ever get a chance to watch it, and uh, it's fun to hear Jack and the Gang playing around with some of these great old films. Uh, anyway, enjoy tonight's episode, and we will see you next time. The Jell-O Program, starring Jack Benny with Mary Livingston and Phil Harris and his orchestra. The orchestra opens a program with Go South, Young Man. Next Tuesday is Washington's birthday, and if you're having company or just want to dress up the family dinner, remember that Jell-O makes one of the grandest desserts you can serve. Jell-O looks so attractive with its bright, clear colors, and Jell-O tastes so grand with its delicious, extra-rich fruit flavor, a flavor that simply cannot be topped. It has a real fruit goodness that rivals the fresh fruits themselves, a luscious, satisfying taste that everybody loves. You can serve Jell-O in any number of ways, just plain or with fruit, nuts, or cream. But no matter how you serve it, and no matter whether it's a holiday or any other day, you'll always make a hit with Jell-O. Just be sure to insist on genuine Jell-O. Only Jell-O brings you that grand, extra-rich fruit flavor. 
So look for the big red letters on the box. They spell Jell-O. South Young Man from the Cotton Club Review. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we bring you a man who celebrated his birthday last Monday, February the 14th, and his age was exactly... Hello again, this is Jack Benny talking, and just in time, folks. <laughs> yes, sir. Wow. Oh, no, Don, I wasn't going to let you get away with that. Nobody's going to know how old I am. I was only kidding, Jack. I really don't know your age, but I am curious. Well, I'm not going to tell you. There are some things that even a buffoon holds sacred. <laughs> oh, come on now, Jack. How old are you? It's none of your business, and you might as well forget it, Don. My lips are sealed. Well, tell me just one thing, Jack. Are you between 40 and 45? La, 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 la. Well, uh, are you between 35 and 40? La, 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 la. Hello, Jack. What are you doing? I'm auditioning for my birthday. <laughs> you know, Mary, Don's been trying to find out my age, and I won't tell him. Oh, you're just like an old woman. After all, you're not a kid anymore. Everybody knows you're not close to Freddie Bartholomew. Well, of course not. Remember, I'm not close to George Arliss, either. <laughs> no, but he can feel your breath on the back of his neck. <laughs> Well, let him pull up his collar Anyway, I'm not as old as you two think, so let's forget it Well, I know one thing, Jack You were in the service during the World War, so you can't be very young Well, certainly I was in the service, but I had a lie to get in You had to lie? Yeah Yeah, he told me he was sick and they examined him <laughs> Now look, Mary, I didn't tell him I was sick at all well, then why did they examine you? Well, I just painted some spots on my face for a gag. <laughs> After all, Don, I'm a comedian. Mm -hmm. Tell them how you try to flatten your feet, too. Well, that's one thing I didn't have to do. My feet have always been like the state of Kansas. <laughs> <laughs> Except for an occasional bunion. <laughs> well, is there anything else about me you two would like to know? Yes, how old are you? Well, there's one thing you'll never find out. Oh, hello, Phil. Hello, Jack, old boy. Happy 44. <laughs> 44. Now, you're just guessing, Phil. That's just a shot in the dark. Well, a bullseye's a bullseye, no matter how you get it. Now, wait a minute, Annie Oakley. <laughs> I will admit that my birthdays come along just as regularly as the income tax. But honestly, fellas, I'm only 33. Boy, what a deduction. <laughs> Oh, I don't know about that. Listen, Phil, you're not much my junior, you know. How old are you? I'm 29. 29? That's all I am, and I don't even show it. Why, Phil Harris, you've been studying music for over 29 years. He don't show that either. <laughs> I agree with you, Mary. Say, Phil, by the way, uh, when is your birthday? I was born April 21st. Oh, April 21st, huh? Yes, and that comes under the sign of Taurus, the bull. Oh, you mean astrologically speaking. Yeah. You know, uh, astrology is a very interesting subject. Here we go, folks. Mary, 
So you were born under Taurus the bull, eh, Phil? Yeah, it was shady there. <laughs> well, that's an interesting sign, you know. Say, uh, what does that mean, Phil? Well, uh, people born under Taurus the bull mm -hmm. are handsome, popular, and can't stand red underwear. Oh. You're a little slow on that line. You can read it faster tonight, will you? I better be careful with this tie I'm wearing here, I know. You know, Jack, I was born August the 16th. That comes under Leo the Lion. Oh, is that so? Well, that's funny. Phil comes under Taurus the Bull, and you come under Leo the Lion. Mary, what sign were you born under? Donald the Duck. <laughs> oh, that must be a new one. What does that mean, Mary? It means I'm beautiful, charming, and have webbed feet. <laughs> Web, oh, close your bill. <laughs> hey, that's good. <laughs> Say, Jack, uh, what sign were you born under? Well, Don, mine is a peculiar case. I was born over a sign. Over a sign? Yes, Waukegan Clothing Company must vacate. <laughs> no, the, the sign's still there. Well, know? then you mean you were born over your father's store. Yes, Don, and the doctor had an awful time getting upstairs. My father grabbed him and tried to sell him a suit. <laughs> and you know, fellas, I was one of the smartest babies you've ever seen, and a great help to my father. Is that so? Why, Don, a minute after I was born, I looked up and said, Doctor, your new suit fits perfectly. You did? Yes, and my father pinched me and said, Quiet, that's his old one. <laughs> what did I know, Don? I was only a baby. You know? Oh, hello, Kenny. Hello, Jack. What's going on? Well, I'll let you in on a secret, Kenny. I was just born. I'm a little baby. Gee, you got cuffs on your diapers. <laughs> hey, that's very clever there. You're pretty smart. When were you born, Kenny? March the 15th. Oh, you come under Taurus the Bull, the same sign as Phil. Well, that mm -hmm. fits. You both sing, you both have curly hair, and you're both in pictures. Yeah, and we're both lady killers, too. <laughs> oh, you're both lady killers. Huh? Well, Phil is. I just stun him. <laughs> Well, tell me, my unconscious Casanova. How do you go about uh, meeting a young lady? Well, I walk right up to him and I give him that old Baker personality. Oh, you do? Huh? Then I say to her, uh, how's about it, kid? How's about it, kid? What does she say? She says, how's about Vot? <laughs> oh, the exotic type. <laughs> yeah. Well, so you start a conversation, then what happens? She goes her way, and I go to my girl's house. The end. Well, Kenny, you certainly are a Romeo, isn't he, Mary? Yeah, if he ever comes under my balcony, I'll give him a flower pot beanie. <laughs> well, Kenny, how about singing your song now before you get crowned there? All right. Now, wait a minute, Kenny. Come in. Telegram for Jack Benny. Telegram for Jack Benny. Oh, two of them this time. To take both of you to deliver them? Yes, we're twins. Oh. We were born under the sign of Pippus, the coin. <laughs> well, here's a dime, fellas. Tear it apart. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. Goodbye. Thanks. Goodbye. Well, boom, boom. You see who these telegrams are from, Mary? Okay. Funny getting two of them at the same time, huh? Uh, look, Jack, this first wire's from your doctor in Waukegan. Oh, good old Doc K. Well, well. Uh, he says, Dear Jack, thanks for the plug you gave me. But your father hasn't paid me yet for your birth 44 years ago. Oh, he hasn't? Well, that's terrible. That's really awful. Well, who's the other wire from? Uh, it's from your father. He says, uh, Don't worry about the doctor. He never paid for the suit either. 
Well, it's a draw. No decision. Sing, Kenny. picture of the same name, <laughs> sung by Kenny Baker. By the way, Kenny, I was on the Maxwell House Good News program last Thursday night, and uh, you know who else has a beautiful voice? I'm not interested. <laughs> well, don't be like that. I heard Alan Jones sing on that same, on that program, and he certainly has a lovely voice. You know, he's a high baritone. Well, I don't work for buttons. <laughs> I didn't say you did. All I say is Alan Jones has marvelous range, poise, and feeling. Or when he takes those high notes, he thrills you. Go on. He forgot more about singing than I'll ever know. <laughs> All right, you win. Say, Jack, I heard you on the Maxwell House show the other night. You did? Yeah. <laughs> they sure kicked you around, didn't they? <laughs> yeah. Well, let me tell you something, fellas. It's the last time I'll ever try to help anybody out, especially Robert Taylor. I went there just to fix up their show, that's all. Why, did they send for you, doctor? <laughs> no, they didn't send for me. I went there of my own free will, and I did all right, too. Uh, did you get paid for it? Well, Bob Taylor gave me a pound of coffee. <laughs> and then he sold me a percolator for $10. A $10 percolator? Have you got it with you? No, on my way out, Frank Morgan picked my pocket. 
It's a fine program. You know, fellas, I thought Bob Taylor made some very sarcastic remarks about my looks, especially my high forehead. Taylor should talk, you know. Oh, yeah? He's got more hair on his eyelashes than you have on your whole head. Oh, he has, huh? They tickle, too. <laughs> well, let's forget Robert Taylor. We've got other things to do here. Say, Jack. Yes, Kenny? I like the girl on that program that does baby snooks. You know, Virginia Bruce. Virginia Bruce? That's Fanny Bryce. Virginia Bruce. Well, they look alike. Kenny, they don't look anything alike. Virginia Bruce is a blonde, and Fanny Bryce is a Latin from Manhattan. <laughs> she was born in the Bronx. She was? Yeah. Say, I wonder what sign she was born under. Bismarck the Herring. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're certainly full of astrology tonight, huh? Yes, Jack, and with all this talk, we've overlooked the luckiest sign of all. Gee, Don, what sign is that? Jello the dessert. Oh, for shame. How could we have forgotten that? Tell me, Don, what does that sign mean? Well, it means that Jell-O has six favorable stars. Strawberry, raspberry, cherry, orange, lemon, and lime. How interesting. Continue. And uh, for people born under this sign, the best days to eat Jell-O are Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and twice on Sunday. We must remember that, students, one and all. <laughs> and now, folks, going from Jell-O to our next feature attraction, tonight we will bring you a drama of the United States Navy. Our version of that thrilling Warner Brothers first national picture, Submarine D-1. Oh, boy, sailors. <laughs> Quiet. Now, I will play the part of Butch O'Benny, chief petty officer, as portrayed by Pat O'Brien on the screen. As tough a sailor as ever choked on a seasick pill. <laughs> the members of my crew will be Sock Harris. Aye, aye, sir. Slim Wilson. Aye, aye, sir. Lucky Baker. Here, teacher. Fine sailor. Uh, hey, Jack, am I going to be in this? Yes, Mary. Your name is Slug Livingston. <laughs> We're short of men, so you'll have to be a sailor, too. Okay, but I'm going to put a screen around my hammock. Well. <laughs> well, now I guess we're just about set. Oh, wait a minute. Hey, Rochester! Rochester! Is your butler going to be in this, Jack? Yes, we've got to have a full crew, so I told him to come down and help me out. Here I am, boss! Now, look, Rochester, let me explain your part. You're a member of a submarine crew. Submarine? Yes. Is that one of them boats that dunks? <laughs> yes, it's an undersea boat that travels far beneath the surface of the ocean. I ain't gonna be on it. Now, Rochester, I promise you $10. Don't you want to make $10? Not if I have to send a whale to the bank with it. <laughs> Now, look, Rochester, there's nothing to worry about. It's only going to last five minutes. I can drown in three. <laughs> well, it's only a play, so go over in the corner and put on your uniform. And now, ladies and gentlemen, Submarine D-1 will sail into action immediately after the next number. All set, Phil? Yep. How do you like my sailor suit? All right, Bill, but it's awfully big. Gee, there's room enough in that suit for you and Kenny. Where do you think I am? <laughs> oh, yes, I see that lump. Play, Phil. Get out of there, Kenny. What's the matter?
that was You Do Something to Me, played by Phil Harris. And now, folks, for our epic of the sea, our tribute to the United States Navy, Submarine D-1. Oh, Jack, look, I got my sailor suit on. How do you like it? Fine, but take off that silver fox cape. This is going to be an informal cruise. <laughs> now, the scene opens on the deck of Submarine D-1, anchored off the Navy Yard in New London, Connecticut. As the action begins... Chief Petty Officer Butch O'Benny is addressing his crew. Curtain. Music. Now listen, men. Before we shove off, there's a few words I want to say to you. You're not in the battleship Navy now. You're in the submarine Navy. And you'll find it a lot tougher. You understand? Aye, aye, aye sir. sir. You know, this ain't going to be no joyride. Being in the service is a man's job. Oh, Chief. What is it, slug? Some... <laughs> Somebody in this crew stole my lipstick. Somebody stole your lipstick? Gosh, I thought it was candy. <laughs> I want discipline in this crew. There'll be no more stealing. Hello, Popeye. Am I late? <laughs> Popeye? Listen, Harris, that's an insult to your superior officer. Step forward and salute. Aye, aye, sir. What are you doing? I'm saluting you. Well, unless your nose itches, you're insulting me again. <laughs> now, unless... Now, men, just one final word before we shove off. We're headed for San Diego by the way of the Panama Canal. This is a new submarine. We're out to make a record. Now, there might be a lot of danger ahead, so keep on your toes. One little slip on the part of any one of you might mean death to us all. Hey, Chief. What? Make way for a deserter. <laughs> Get back there, Rochester. All right, men, down below. All right, right, sir. Hey, Wilson. Yes, Chief? Stay right in the middle of the boat. I don't want any tipping. <laughs> on the double, men, we're off to Panama. Two weeks later, we pick up submarine D-1 off the coast of Panama, cruising 40 feet below the surface. Well, men, we should be in Panama before night. Everything is okay so far. We've had very few delays. Hey, uh, Chief, Chief. What is it, Wilson? Something seems to be wrong. We're slowing down. Slowing down? Darn those sharks. They're hitching rides again. <laughs> shoot! Shoot! Scat! Shoot! <laughs> Go away. Oh, why don't you let them have a little fun? I don't mind them bumming a ride, but I don't want them biting their initials in the rudder. <laughs> anyway, Slug, keep looking through that periscope and see if all is clear ahead. Aye, aye, sir. Hey, Rochester, is supper ready? Oh, but the apple pie. The apple pie? Where's that? I put it out the window to cool. <laughs> oh. Well, never mind. We'll be in Panama in a couple of hours. And we can eat there. Hey, Chief, Chief. What is it, Slug? There's a ship cruising directly ahead of us. There is? Can you make out the name? It's the Albany Night Boat. <laughs> the Albany Night Boat? Yeah, one of us must be lost. Well, it can't be us. We've been heading due south for two weeks. Hey, where are you going, Baker? Up on deck for a walk. You can't do that. We're 40 feet below the surface. That's all right. I got my rubbers on. <laughs> it's a fine cruise. Oh, Harris. Aye, aye, sir. Rig out forward planes. 
uh, ship steering from bridge to conning tower and check air on manifold. What does that mean? I don't know. I saw it in the picture. Well, do it yourself. Aye, aye, sir. I mean, get out of here. Oh, slug. Go. Don't leave that periscope. Hey, what's that? A seahorse just went by. <laughs> a seahorse? Yeah, and he's got a sign on his back. What does it say? Santa, need or bus. <laughs> oh, well, I hope he makes it. Full speed ahead. We'll give him a race. Oh, Chief, Chief. What is it, Wilson? Things look pretty bad. We're running out of gas. Hmm, this submarine uses more gas than my Maxwell. What do we do now? Look, Chief, there's a gas station right ahead of us. A gas station underwater? Here, look. Well, what do you think of that? Yup, there it is. Neptune and Cohen. <laughs> gas, oil, and sandwiches. Go down on all rudders. Reverse rear engine. We're stopping for fuel. Help me out with this diving suit so I can get out and get some gas. But, Chief, we're at the bottom of the ocean. When you open that door, a lot of water will come in. Well, we need water, too. Open up. Aye, aye, sir. Gee, it's hard to walk down here. Hmm, look at these strange fish. Woo, woo, woo! Pardon me, folks. An electric eel just bumped into me. Hmm. Oh, here's the gas station. I wonder where the attendant is. Oh, there he is. Hello there. Hello, stranger. <laughs> Welcome to Saltwater Junction. Why, Schlepperman, since when have you been running a gas station at the bottom of the ocean? I've been here for two months, but I'll have to go back soon. Why? How long can a man hold his breath? <laughs> well, tell me, do you do any business here? Why, certainly, Jack. Submarines pass here every ten minutes. Oh, well, that's wonderful. Yeah. Jack, am I doing a great business? I'm cleaning up. Look, I got eight gas pumps. Eight gas pumps? How do you handle them all? I got an octopus helping me. <laughs> an octopus? Where is he now? Next door, getting a manicure. Well, Slep, I'm in a hurry. I need some gas for my submarine. How much do you want, sailor? Fill her up. The government's paying for it. Tell me, Slep, is your wife here with you? She was, but I had to send her away. Oh, she didn't like it here, huh? Well, she was all right at first, but one day she hung out the wash. And what happened? She went crazy waiting for it to dry. Oh, that's too bad. Say, I see you got a little restaurant here, too. What kind of sandwiches do you serve? Well, we got sponge, watercress, and seaweed. Oh. Well, give me a seaweed on rye. I'll have a cup of coffee, too. You want it with cream or cod liver oil? I want cream. Woo! Woo! Yeah, what's the matter now? There's that electric eel again. <laughs> you know, he's my best customer. I charge his batteries. Well, Schlepp, I've got to get going. If I make Panama by tonight, I'll break a record. Wait a minute, Jackie. Stick around. I'll take you to a nightclub and introduce you to the most beautiful mermaids you ever saw. I'm sorry, Schlepp, but I can't let the Navy down. Ah, yeah, you should see those mermaids. They entertain, they sing, and one of them is very tantalizing. Oh, yeah? What does she do? You should see her put on a fin dance. <laughs> Say, that sounds all right. By golly... I think I'll stay at that. Listen to that music. The nightclub is opening already. Look that settles it. I'm going to stay. Wait till I tell my crew. Yeah. 
Drop anchor, men. We're going to tie up here for the night. Aye, aye, sir. Mermaids. Say, this is going to be good. Oh, Phil. Phil. Yes, Chief. Come on out. I know where there's some mermaids. What do you think I got on my lap, a flounder? <laughs> oh, he always beats me to it. Take it, Wilson. This will be continued next Sunday night. Will the submarine get to Panama? Will Butch get a date with a mermaid? Will it stop raining in California? Tune in next Sunday night and find out. Play, Phil. <laughs> Do you want to give your family something new and swell for dessert? Well, here's a timely suggestion. It's a Washington's birthday special called Layer Red Cherries and Bananas, a beautiful and tempting combination of cherry jello and fruit. And here's the way to make it. Dissolve one package of cherry jello and pour it over one cup of canned white cherries arranged in a mold. Then slice one banana on top of the jello and chill until firm. Serve it with the whipped cream, and boy, you have a swell dessert. A layer of delicious cherries, a layer of creamy bananas molded inside crimson cherry jello. It looks grand, and it tastes every bit as good as it looks. For cherries and bananas combine perfectly with the luscious, extra-rich fruit flavor of jello. So be sure and try this tempting new dessert for Washington's birthday. Order some jello tomorrow. number of the 21st program on the new Jell-O series, and we'll be with you again next Sunday night at the same time, when we will bring you further adventures of Submarine D-1. What thrills? What suspense? Oh, but... What is it, Slug? Are there any he mermaids? No. Good night, folks. Baker appears on the Jell-O program through courtesy of Mervyn Leroy Productions. The tune, Who Knows, is from the score of the picture, Rosalie. This is the National Broadcasting Company.
you sound in a good mood tonight. Then we have... No, we got... We have a little something special tonight. Just to kind of get you going. My special guest, because she's a special lady and a special friend, Mrs. Jack Benny, is here tonight. <laughs> my next guest is a rather special one. She's a close friend of me and my wife, Joanna. And for many, many years, Mary Livingston... Uh, was a professional uh, radio and television star, but she's probably best known as the wife of Jack Benny. Would you welcome, please, Mary Livingston, Mrs. Jack Benny. Tonight, huh? Yes, I did. <laughs> I want to thank you for coming. How many years now? We know each other well. How many years has it been since you've really appeared on radio or television? Oh, I imagine, what, 15? Something like that. 20, something yeah. like that. Yeah. And it's interesting and because we talked about this beforehand, and you talked about it in your book. Now, you worked for Jack in, on stage. Yes. You worked in radio. You worked in television. And you said there came a time when all of a sudden you develop what they call mic fright. And a lot of people who are not in show business may find that impossible to believe how a performer all of a sudden who's worked gets afraid of the mic. What happened? Well, I don't know really what happened. When I first went on the stage, well, I sang a song every week right. and nothing bothered me. And then I went into radio and everything was fine until I finally realized that we had quite a large audience the number one show in the nation you for know, many years. And that made me quite nervous. Huh. So when Jack and I used to work this way, facing the audience, you see, and then when I found out we had Millions. a few listeners, I turned and faced Jack. And wouldn't I look, at the, Jack wouldn't look at the studio audience. Oh, I was frightened of the audience. And I would take my papers and throw them out, you know. And half the time, two would go at a time. <laughs> and there goes the script. <laughs> and there goes the script. And then I went into television, and everything was by accident anyway, but I went into television, and everything was fine. And then all of a sudden, I awakened Jack about 4 o'clock in the morning. I'd been on about 10 years, and I said, you know, doll, this is my last show. I'm a wreck. Huh? Yeah, you said so the I day of the show, you'd say you'd start to think about it so much. Well, I'd wake up three or four, oh, five times a night. Just thinking about having thinking to go in front of the audience. go on and face an audience. I remember reading stories, and I think I mentioned this, about Mary Pickford or somebody of her caliber who, when she did her first radio show, they had to disguise the microphone because the, the, the appearance of the microphone absolutely put her into a panic. So they would put flowers around it, like you're talking into a bouquet or something, and it made her feel comfortable. <laughs> but um, later on, I'm going to play that, that tape for you. Oh, I'd love Which Jack didn't get a chance to hear. We were at the house one night, and I was, was getting late, and I said, you never got a chance to hear this, and I dug a few things out. And I was asking Freddie de Cordova, who was Jack's director on his television shows for how many years? Oh, a long, long time. About, about nine, nine, nine years. years. That's yeah. where I first met Freddie. I was doing a, a guest a shot on a Jack show. And um, I, I had a question. I went some, And I noticed, I was asking Freddie beforehand, Jack's character on television and radio was so well established as being cheap as being cheap and a little bit vain and you were his girlfriend and i've often wondered and i never asked you this before he always played a bachelor didn't he always you yes. were his girlfriend who dropped in he was always at home with rochester you would go over you would meet someplace 
Was there ever a period of time where the writer said, hey, let's have them get married? No, never. Why? I wonder why that never came up. Well, I think it's the same reason that Jack never wanted to be more than 39 years old. <laughs> In other words, don't break the, uh, the don't image. Don't break the image and uh, leave it at 39. I think that uh, when I first went on radio show, I went on as his secretary. And played kind of dumb, and the dumb girl. And played the dumb girl, I think. <laughs> and then later, as we got Dennis Day and the different people no. on, they would write me out as a different kind of a character, but never Mrs. Jack Benny. Yeah, and you became the kind of wisecracking girlfriend, but that just occurred to me. That was interesting. You're married in, in real life for, what, 48 years? No, we're uh, married 40... January would have been yeah. 45. 45? Yeah. And yet you were just his girlfriend on the Girlfriend? On the show. When I was married to him, I was his girlfriend. <laughs> you... <laughs> yeah. You had a great marriage. You know what? You really did. Oh, we you did. You and Jack. Yes, of course. It shows did. in the book. Uh, you adored the man, and it's obviously he adored you. Uh, and the interesting thing about the book, there are things in here I did not really know. Uh, well, I think there are a lot of things yeah. that people really don't know. And, and other things I have seen. It, it tells more about the kind of a person. And practically everybody you talk with, you and... Uh, and Hickey, who did the book. My and, brother, uh, Hillard, and Marcia Boyer, she... Uh... Um, everyone you talked with came up with almost the same thing. They said, Jack Benny was a nice man. He was good and so forth. And I've never asked you this either. What, does, did he do anything that really bugged you around the house? Little things. Yes. I mean, that really could irritate you. I mean, nobody's perfect. Jack <laughs> was a lovely man, but he must have had a boiling point. Jack was a darling, darling man, but he had quite a temper. Uh -huh. I mean, as Freddie can tell you. No, you know, I never saw uh, that. I never saw he that. Never, he'd never stay angry very long, you know. But if he got angry, it was very, very fast and over very quickly. Oh. And I got used to those moods, you know. And if we had a tough day or something went wrong at the studio, I would quickly never look at him when we went to work, you know. We'd have an argument or something, or something would happen in the Sunday morning. And we're driving down to the studio, and I never spoke to him. Went to my dressing room, got dressed, came down, and worked. And we worked this way, and I worked above his head. I never looked at him. <laughs> because didn't it, want the contact. I didn't want to, you know. And he finally would say, Mary and I had an argument this morning. And uh, I had a temper, and uh, so we... Uh, She's not looking at me, and then we'd laugh. But then he got over it quickly. <laughs> then he'd get over it, yes. Uh, Jack was a, was a good-looking man. Was yes, a handsome he was. Man. And ladies were attracted to Jack. I yes. know Joanna adored him. Uh, he, because he had, he had a vulnerability about him or something that, that women like. And I, I sensed in the book, Mary, I don't know, a, a little tinge of jealousy once in a while when um, he worked with other ladies. Uh, yes. Wait, wait a little yes. bit? I think I was jealous of Jack up until the last really? minute, yes. When I first met Jack, Jack was probably, I think, one of the handsomest men I'd ever met. He was a rake, I guess they would say <laughs> in those days. I mean, And pretty blue eyes. and Bluer than the waters of Lake Louise. <laughs> you, that's what he used to say, right? I was going to ask you how blue were they. <laughs> how blue were they? <laughs> but anyway, he was a darling man. But he had a terrible habit when we first got married, and I started working with him, and uh, the phone would ring backstage. Yeah, and I remember. Some girl or something, and Jack never said he was married. Never. 
Well, we just say not tonight or I can't no, see you. No, I can't see you tonight. And finally, I was standing... You're already married. Of course. No. And we were up... I was standing at the top of the stairs, and the phone rang, and I was getting ready to go on the stage, and the phone rang. Jack answered, said, oh, I'm so sorry, but I'm... I, I just can't make it tonight. We'll make it another night. And when he came upstairs, it's in there. I got so angry at him that I scratched his face. And he went on like that. And I think that's what started that whole... Remember, he used to stand like this. So it came out of a jealous... Yeah. We're going to take a, a short break. We're going to come back. we got some more things for you. Fascinating. Stay where you are. We're back talking with Mary Benny. Isn't this fun now? Yes. See how fun. easy all this, all this all this worry. She says, "Feel my stomach a moment ago." You're going to pump, pump, pump. You have we'll a wonderful after. looking audience. Yes, aren't they? They're a lovely crowd, aren't they? <laughs> We're talking about Jack. You mentioned this business. Um, is it true that you you still get a red rose from Jack every day? You mentioned that in the book. Yes, it's, it's after sweet. Jack passed away. Um, Oh, I think it was about a week later, a red rose came. No name, just one red rose. And I thought, isn't this lovely? Somebody sent me red rose, how dear. The next day and the next day and still came and I couldn't figure it out. And I said, well, who's the florist? You know, if I call the florist, they probably could tell me. Nobody knew. It wasn't until about, and I'm still getting them every day. And it was about, I guess, six months later. When the florist, David Jones... Told you that... Jack had told him to send me a rose for the rest of my life. Well, that is sweet. I mean, that gives you... That's the measure of the man. That pretty much is is the measure of the man. I think that kind of adds and sums Jack up a little bit. It really does. You said it. I mean, he is that kind of a a man. As George said, George Murray is close to... Well, I always said... He's basically a nice man. I'm sorry. I always said to Jack... You know, you're a nice man, Jack. And he used to scream. I never said, you know, I'd say, I love you, doll, or something. But I was like, you're such a nice man, Jack. And, you know, he'd pound on the table or something. He has a delayed reaction Jack had on things. Uh, he, he was naive in certain little areas, like, you go to dinner. Jack really never figured out the tipping. Oh, How much no. to tip. No, no. Not that he was cheap. On the, on the contrary, he devoted, he was... He would over-tip sometimes to live down the, the image. and He never knew. And people didn't like it if the, he would tip him because they said, Mr. Benny, please, you're, you're ruining the image. Uh, but Freddie or somebody or you always had to tell him what to tip because he never knew. Yeah, Jack would say, how, know, how much money, should I give them? Money never meant anything to Jack. Honestly, it didn't. I know. I asked him once, and he'd been asked this question before. I said, what, what's the greatest thing about being world famous? And Jack thought for a while, and, you know, he said, not having to stand in line at the airport. airport. Or little, <laughs> little things like that, the little courtesy you yeah. would get because you had the name. I think I first met Jack in the, this is in fact from out of the book, I hope you don't mind a personal thing, because no. you had this in the book, and this is about 1950 or 51 when I first met. Look at the black hair. <laughs> That's when you, he was doing a radio show out here. And You're Freddie, right. he is good looking. Yeah, isn't he? Oh, he was a handsome guy. And this is a uh, uh, Freddie brought this in Freddie de Corbett, which is his favorite picture to view in Jack. Oh, I love that. Isn't that a great yeah. picture? Uh-huh. This is a show I emceed for Jack in New York once. I think it was a craft music hall, and you can uh-huh. see Jack. And when he laughed, and he's he, laughing. He was a great audience. And George is breaking up, and Jack. So I sent it to Jack and George. 
And Jack wrote on top, he says, that must have been funny. Love, Jack. At the bottom, George said, I must have said something. (laughs) (laughs) That was was George's comment. Now, the thing I mentioned before, and I hope uh, you will like this. I did this in college, and I talked to you about it. Uh, This is about 1947, and I was trying to explain radio comedy. And as I explained, Jack had probably the greatest influence on my life as a performer, because when you're young, you listen to people, you steal a little bit, you steal a lot. And when I look at myself 25 years ago, I was outrageous, some of the things I would do, because I would be almost doing Jack's gestures, and I had to pull back. So what I had done in college, I had taped various radio shows, yours, Burns and Allen, Drew McGee and Molly, Bob Hope, uh, the days of the great radio shows, which were wonderful. Now the Milton Berle. And yeah, I don't, yeah, so I wasn't stealing. I was, I was doing, no, I wasn't stealing, Mary. I was just, I was trying to point out the way jokes were constructed and characters on, 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 on radio. And what you're going to hear is something I'm introducing on the tape. We're going to do something you normally don't do on television. We're going to sit and listen for about two minutes, radio, and to listen to the structure. And because I want the people to hear you, the young people, you don't know how good you were. Maybe you did. No, you, were, you were a good performer. Mm. So this is explaining a typical, what they call a misunderstanding joke. And then you will hear. So roll, roll the tape, audio tape, and we're just going to sit. The situation is based on misunderstanding when there's a confusion of viewpoints about a single action and results in conflict that appears ludicrous to the audience, which is aware of all sides of the action. I've selected another scene from The Benny Show to illustrate the formula of misunderstanding. Notice the confusion of viewpoints on the one action. You see, Jack's been using the ironing board as a runway to practice his dance routine for television. You know, Rochester, maybe I ought to try and... I'll get it. Oh, oh, say, Rochester, no matter who it is, don't mention anything about the new dance I've been working on. I won't remember. Coming! Hello, Rochester. Hello, Miss Livingston. Come on in. Mr. Benny home? Yeah, he's getting dressed. He'll be down in a minute. Well, then I'll wait. And don't let me interrupt you, Rochester. Go ahead and finish your ironing. Ironing? Yes, you've got the ironing board up, haven't you? (laughs) I wasn't using that. You see, Mr. Benny was... Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Mr. Benny was what? Well, he was, uh... He was, uh... He was getting ready to wallpaper the living room. Well, back home I used to help my mother paper our house, and Mr. Benny is going at it the wrong way. It seems to me well, that... Well, good morning, Mary. Oh, good morning, Jack. Rochester told me what you were doing with the ironing board. Oh, he did, eh? <laughs> Rochester, I told you not to say anything about what... But, Jack, you should be glad he told me I can show you a few tricks. <laughs> What do you know about it? Oh, I used to do it with my mother. <laughs> what? Oh, Mama was wonderful. She used to work with a brush in each hand. <laughs> a brush in each hand? Well, didn't your father object? No, if she didn't do it, he'd have to. <laughs> Mary... Doll face, what are you talking about? <laughs> wallpapering the house. Oh, oh, wallpapering. Oh, of course. There you are. Let's give back 30 some years. Huh? You were good. 
The book is a fascinating, intimate book at a, at a, at a unique performer, man, husband, that I, I know you will enjoy. I and think it, it's a I think it's a good book. I'm a little too close to it. It is, really. You know, my brother had a lot to do with it. You know, yeah. Hickey and Mark, they had a lot to do with it. But I think it's, it's interesting, and I think... Got all the things in the I book I think it's honest. Wanted. Yeah. I know this hasn't been uh, one of the things that you do regularly, Mary. Um, <laughs> I think the last time was about 15 years ago. <laughs> and to calm down, you probably have to go out and buy yourself a piece of jewelry or something. <laughs> just, to, just to settle yourself down after this. Yeah, I have an appointment right now. Okay, thank you. <laughs> just pick up a little box. That's true. That is her, like her first public appearance on Rain of in about 15 years, and it is not easy when you have found it. Uh, but she, she, she was lovely. Beautiful. Charming. Yeah, I thought it was great.